It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode. How has your week been? Mine has been incredible. It's been very crazy busy. So I actually had the chance to go speak at a sales retreat for a local construction company that's kind of kicking butt. They actually built my home too, which was so exciting. So kind of full circle there. So I got to drive to Sun Valley, check out the gorgeous mountains, the scenery, see some elk along the road that always kind of freaks me out, especially when you're driving late at night. But it was a really great event. And I had such a good time talking about finance and how that affects us in our lives. So it was really quite a fun one. In fact, this is my week of speaking. I have three speaking events this week. And I have two next week too, which is so nuts. And then, yeah, I don't even know, but it's going to be a crazy wild week. And I'm excited about that. I'm also excited about our guest today. I met Cody Berman at Camp Fi in Arkansas. So that was a really cool event. I'm going to be going again this year as well. I, I think I'll be at the one in Joshua Tree so I can do a little bit of hiking before and after. So I'm super stoked about that. But that's where I connected with Cody and I was so impressed with him. But before we dive into Cody's story, so you can see all of his awesomeness, I want to share some of your awesomeness. This is our hashtag money win segment. This money win comes from Jennifer. Jennifer says, raised my credit score by 100 plus points over the last year. Hashtag money win. Um, heck yeah, girl, that's amazing. That is some serious hustle. I'm so, so proud of you. Way to go on your huge accomplishment. 100 plus points. I don't even know the stats on this. I read an article one time that was talking about how much your credit score can cost you if you have a poor credit score over the course of your life. So the fact that you were able to increase yours by over 100 points is no small feat, and I'm super, super proud of you. Keep up the great work. Amazing stuff. Guys, if you want to learn a little bit more about what your credit score is composed of and how they come up with a basic credit score and factors that you can use to increase your score, head over to WhitneyHanson.Teachable.com. I have a free credit workshop on there, completely free. It's amazing. It's taught by one of my good friends that looks at credit reports literally all day, every day. So he does a really good job explaining differences in the credit score. So I think you'll really enjoy that and make sure you head over there if you're interested in learning more about your credit. All right, let's dive into today's guest. Cody Berman is one of those people that has such an interesting story and drive towards financial independence, and he's only 22 years old. Like, what the crap, guys? I was not doing this kind of stuff when I was 22, so it's so incredible to see how much drive he has. So like every other entrepreneur, after reading Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, I swear to God, this is like her Bible, Cody started to craft his plan of turning an area he already had a lot of passion and knowledge into a full-fledged business. It's incredible. He grew up with a really financially savvy set of parents and continued making really great decisions by going to an in-state college and continually boosting his savings rate to help him reach his goal of financial independence. Awesome stuff, right? I cannot imagine how my life would be so different if I would have started it and took this stuff pretty seriously. I mean, I was pretty motivated, but I don't know if I was Cody Berman level. 
who knows? In this episode, we talk about his disc golf company, tips for creating a physical product, living in Australia for a period of time. That was like my favorite part of this episode, travel hacking tips, short-term side hustle ideas, and even transitioning from a side hustle to a full-time hustle. Guys, I am so excited to share this episode with you. I think you're going to love Cody as much as I do. He's a rock star and my God, 22 years old. It's so cool to see all the amazing stuff that he's doing at such a young age. Cody's website is fly2fi.com, and you should definitely check out his podcast. It's called The Fi Show, The F-I Show. It's amazing. You're going to love it. I am so excited to introduce you to my friend, Cody Berman from The Fi Show Podcast. That, my friend, is the sound of making money. It's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. If you are not familiar with Shopify, it's a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving entrepreneurs just like myself the resources once reserved for big businesses, customized for my needs, with a great-looking online store that brings my idea to life and tools to manage my day-to-day and drive sales. Making your idea real opens endless possibilities. It's a journey, but that's the beautiful part of entrepreneurship. Believe me, this podcast started as just a fun way to learn and share money stories and has since turned into my full-time gig. You just never know where these ideas are going to lead you. And that's why I love Shopify. It powers over 1.7 million entrepreneurs just like me from first sale to full scale. And every 28 seconds, a small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. Get started by building and customizing your online store with no coding or design experience. You can access powerful tools to help you find customers, drive sales, and manage your day-to-day. Gain knowledge and confidence with extensive resources to help you succeed. Plus, you get 24-7 support, so you're never alone. It's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash money nerds, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash money nerds right now shopify.com slash money nerds. Remember this is lowercase. It is case sensitive or click the link in the show notes. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Today I'm joined by one of my good friends, Cody Berman from fly and the Fi show podcast. Cody, such an honor, my friend. Thanks for hanging out. It is awesome to talk to you again, Whitney. I've been looking forward to this all week. Me too. Me too. And you mentioned you've been doing some crazy renovation stuff. Can you tell us what kinds of stuff you're actually working on today? Yeah. So we were redoing some drywall today. <laughs> I actually had to postpone this podcast uh, an hour and a half with Whitney. She was kind <laughs> enough to reschedule a little bit with me. But yeah, I did some drywall, did some painting, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I did today, but just been doing a bunch of renovations. There was mold in the house, just getting oh. it rent ready, and hopefully that's going to be wrapped up in the next month. That's so cool. Are, are you sharing that journey on your blog? Just curious. I have not been sharing it. I was going to kind of wait till it was all done and share a bunch of before and after pictures and the stuff I've learned and the stuff I wish I did differently. Seriously. So that's going to be after the project's over type of thing. Very cool. Very cool. Well, okay. One of the things, I think this is like a great segue because you are such a dynamic person. You're not just a one trick pony. You've got so many balls in the air and I, I actually love that. I think it's really cool. So in addition to the podcast, and this new house renovating stuff. You're also working a full-time job and you're growing a physical product business. Can you tell us what is your <laughs> full-time job and then what is your physical product? Yeah. So my full-time job, I do commercial real estate lending. So for people who don't know what that is, it sounds a little fancy. If Whitney wanted to buy a $10 million building, she probably doesn't have $10 million just sitting there in the bank. So she'd come to me or my team and we'd loan her the $10 million. So that's my day job. I work that about 40 to 50 hours a week, depending on the week. Um, The commute is the worst part, though. Mm. I actually have a two-hour door-to-door commute each way every day. But that gives me a lot of time to write blog posts, edit the podcast, do side hustles, like entrepreneurial stuff like that. And so the second question is my physical product business, which is Arsenal Discs. And I actually started that business my junior year of college. For people, for people who don't know, I'm 22 right now, so that was only three years ago. But I've always kind of been in the disc golf niche. I've been playing since I was eight years old. There's a course right across the street from me. And 
after reading the four hour work week, I knew I needed to start doing these side hustles because I'm like, this is so cool. You can like front load all the work and then these side hustles or these businesses, whatever, they'll pay you in perpetuity for the work that you put in in the beginning. I tried my hand at two side hustles, failed miserably. And the third one, I struck gold and that was this disc golf company. And like you guys can probably guess, I have a background in finance and economics, hence the banking job. So <laughs> I had no, <laughs> I had no experience with like mechanical engineering, because mm. when you're designing a product from scratch, like you have to be able to build CAD files. That's computer aided design, and I had no experience. So I teamed up with one of my buddies from high school, actually, and middle school friend Jim, who was a very talented mechanical engineer. So it's kind of the perfect duo. We had we had this one business guy and this one engineer guy. And we just went at it. And I'm sure you can hit me with some follow-up questions because it was a long and grueling process, but totally worth it. I have so many follow-up questions. So I love that you were smart enough to partner up. I think that's one of those things where a lot of us let our ego kind of get in the way of like, oh, I can figure this out on my own. I've been there before, but with a physical product, you really do need different kinds of perspectives and different skill sets that are coming to the table. So I think it was really smart that you did that. What was the hardest part about getting it from idea to actual, like, holding the tangible product? What was the most difficult piece there? All right. I love that question because there are so many puzzle pieces that fit into this process. So (laughs) with disc golf manufacturing, there's, I guess, three major, like, companies that we're outsourcing from, maybe four, (laughs) if you count uh, decorating the disc afterwards. So there is the prototyping company. So this is the company that when we get the CAD file, they're sending us like a cheaper, less durable plastic just to see the shape of the disc, see if we like it. We throw it around, see if it flies and performs how we want it to because that's its only purpose, that it has to be thrown and fly the way we designed it. So that's the prototyping company. We probably reached out, I think I have a Google sheet, 50 to 70 different prototyping companies. What? And we ultimately ended up going um, ended up going with one based on just price and customer service. And the next piece is the mold manufacturer. So with a physical product like a disc golf disc, we have a big steel block. And in the center of the steel block is a hollow shape mm-hmm. of the disc. And so that whole thing is called a mold. And so we, we reached out to an additional maybe 60 companies for the mold manufacturing, both domestic and international, um, just because we were comparing rates, see what we could get the best deal on. So that's already like 120 companies right there. Just imagine how many phone calls and emails that is. The last piece of the puzzle is the actual physical production of the product. So this is the plastics manufacturer, the people who are actually pumping out the units. And so that was another probably it was about 50 to 70 for each of those segments. So that's between like 150 and 180 companies we reached out to. And then on top of that, we're doing things like reaching out to plastic plastics compounders so we can get the perfect formula for the right plastics, the right weight, things like that. Decorating the disc. Do we want to do pad printing? Do we, do we want to do hot stamping? There's just so many different variables, especially when it's a from the ground up type of product. It's not like we're doing drop shipping where it's already like a coffee mug and we just put our state on it. You know, yeah, It's a lot all. more complicated because those guys have no idea what they were doing. They'd never manufactured this product before. So So huge, huge learning curve. And just for idea of a timeline, uh, it was June 2016 when I made that first phone call to my friend Jim with the idea. And it was November 2017 when we had our first shelf-ready disc in hand. Wow. So it was about 17-month process. Oh my gosh, that is so crazy. So just to give you guys some context, in the online world, like the business that I run, and then even with podcasting, you have an idea, within a week, you can usually turn out something. So physical product side hustle and business is completely different, which is why I was so excited to chat with you, Cody, about this, because it's it's not one of those you can just immediately dive in. So I know when we first met at Camp Fi. I was so naive to a disc golf, but then the process of it, I I just assumed it was drop shipping, but you mentioned that there's a lot of stuff that goes behind it. So can you talk to everybody why you decided not to drop ship and actually create your own product? So with drop shipping, like I don't even know if drop shipping is a thing yet in disc golf. It's not exactly big enough. Um, It's about two to 3 million people in the U S that play. I mean, it's not a huge market. It's not like I'm trying to think of a product that everyone uses, like the mugs before. Oh, I yeah. bet a lot more than two to three million people use mugs. So they're not getting manufactured in the quantities that you could really set up a drop shipping business. But if we did want to kind of outsource and use one of those bigger manufacturers and just put our name on it, 
I mean, that cuts into our profit margins big time, and that leaves us a lot less autonomy with how we want to market, with what we want to name the disc, and just like all of those types of things. So me and Jim just kind of wanted to bootstrap it and run with it so we can we can build the company that we want to build. We have no one telling us what to do. So powerful, too. Can you tell everybody what bootstrapping is for those that have never heard that term? Yeah, bootstrapping is basically just getting it done by yourself and strapping in and you're like, I'm going to go do this. I don't need help. I want to learn and grow from this process. Yeah, That's my definition anyway. <laughs> I like it. And I, I like to, because you guys are funding the business yourselves, right? You're not looking for external funding at this point? No, not at this point. I mean, we had people coming out with equity offers. Um, and actually, this is a noteworthy thing, I guess. We had a Kickstarter campaign when we first launched. And so that put us really up against the wall because like, we wanted to get these discs out and we raised like 10 grand. So we had a lot of backers um, awesome. waiting for this product. And like I said before, it took 17 months. So, I mean, we're just back to the wall grinding, trying to get everything perfect before these discs go out. That is so great. Oh, I didn't realize you were doing Kickstarter with your biz. <laughs> yeah, we raised 10 grand. And this was before people even touched the tangible product, which is pretty unique, I guess, in disc golf, because most people like feeling the disc before they buy it. But we just had a pretty good marketing strategy. Like I said before, I've been in this community for almost 15 years now. So I had some friends and just people in the disc golf community that were more than willing to back us and spread the message. That's so cool. I love that. Do you think it's important? So obviously you're a big fan of disc golf and you've been in this industry for a long time. You kind of know the ins and outs. How important is that for a physical product in general, do you think? Is it a passion thing where you should definitely play into the passion or do do you think that even matters? I think it matters a lot. Well, there's like different types of people. So I honestly have a lot of fun I could have a lot of fun building a business around a product that I don't really enjoy or know anything about. And that's just because I like building businesses and I like figuring out weird ways to make money. But I feel like for 99% of the population, that's not true. Most people <laughs> don't like spending their free 60 hours a week side hustling and like figuring out weird ways to make money like I do. So if you're going to go into this type of business, definitely do something that aligns with your passions because after six months or a year, you're just going to hate it and it's going to feel like a job. Yeah. So luckily for me, like I can go out on the course across the street from me that my uncle owns. It's right down the street and go play with the disc that I made. It's like the coolest thing ever. But if I was completely disconnected from that sport, it would be weird just trying to get people to back us and trying to like speak or promote at tournaments. I wouldn't know the lingo. I wouldn't even know how to throw one of these things. So like, what does it look like when the founder of a company doesn't know anything about the product that they're creating? So I think it is pretty important in in this space. I could see that. I could, I could totally see that. So with the business, what, where are you hoping to take it? What's your next steps? So our next step, so like I said before, I mean, there's so many things that can and will go wrong. Like there's so many pieces of the puzzle in entrepreneurship and especially a physical product business. So toward the beginning of this year, actually, we switched manufacturing facilities because the last manufacturer just wasn't very willing to work hard with us because they had other clients like hospitals and the United States Army. (laughs) So the little little disc golf company wasn't getting too much attention. So we're like... (laughs) We can't continue working with you guys. It just isn't working out. So we moved to the new facility. So it was just that whole learning process over again. So we're on the back end of that learning curve, I guess. Mm -hmm. We're just figuring out and perfecting the plastics and getting the manufacturing process down right at this new place because they had no previous experience. And now, yeah, so we're launching with a few thousand discs probably over the next month or two. Just going to test them out feel out the new manufacturer. And then after that, I mean, it's off to the races. I mean, if we can start pumping out like tens of thousands of these units, it's pretty easy to fulfill those orders through pro shops, which is disc golf specific, like retailers around the country. There's like over 500 of them in the U S Holy or, and I mean, hopefully at one point we can scale up. I mean, we can go on Amazon. That's a no brainer. That's pretty easy. But once you get to a certain level, like you can get into played against sports, stick sporting goods, Walmart. Like once you get to that level, that's when the profits start rolling in big time. That's amazing. And I know to get to that level definitely takes a lot of hustle and a lot of nose. So I want to go back to this whole concept of you mentioned there were like hundreds of people you had to reach out to in order to get one person that said yes. How many people actually told you no? Was it direct nose or did they just not reply? It was like maybe 30% response rate, first of all. So that whittles it down quite a bit. And then the rest wasn't them saying no. It was, I mean, they want our business. It was just us negotiating on price and just seeing how their customer service was. Because if we're going to pay, if we're going to pay 50 grand, I mean, if we're going to pay 15 grand versus 50 grand for like a mold on, uh, 
the, a very similar product, mm-hmm. then we're not we're going to go with the cheaper option if they have like similar quality. So it was mostly that type of stuff, like bartering and negotiating on rates. Gotcha. So with the business currently, what do you think is the greatest skill that you have that you've brought to the business to help it grow? Mm, that's a good question. I think just not having fear in reaching out for like par- uh, partnerships, opportunities, sponsorships, and stuff like that. I actually had a guest post recently on the Money Mix, which is this cool new website that like aggregates financial bloggers. But um, it, it was ask and you shall receive, and like all of the good things that have happened to me is just because I kind of manned up and asked. And mm-hmm. I, I guess I won't use man up or woman up for you yeah. women out there. <laughs> just just go ask. Like you'll always get a no if you never ask. So just pushing for those. Next level opportunities will always be beneficial. Even if you get a no, it's better taking a shot than never taking the shot and knowing and never knowing that that could have been. 100%. Is that always been a trait that you have or did you kind of have to learn that over the years? I think that's been a trait I've always had. So, I mean, that has allowed me to outperform in most of the things I've done, like mm-hmm. in school, in my side hustles and my in my disc golf business, just pretty much everything. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, so speaking of fear, this is such a segue tangent, but I have to go there because I love that you (laughs) are a traveler as well. So you decided to go off and take a really sweet vacation trip for how many months were you traveling? I was in Australia for five months. Five months. Okay, most people, (laughs) it doesn't matter if you are 18 or 19 or 45. Most people, it does not even matter. We all have excuses and we all tell ourselves we can't go travel. We can't get out there and do it. So how did you get over that fear of going and actually taking this trip and going and traveling for five months? Um, How did you get over that fear? Or was that even a fear for you? No, I'm not a fearful person because I kind of have this. You're so lucky. (laughs) (laughs) I have this kind of what's the worst that could possibly happen mentality. And usually when you actually boil it down to that, like what's the worst that could possibly happen? It's not that bad. And so I kind of take every day like that. Like I'm like, what's the worst that could possibly happen if I don't finish this thing on time? If I go do this exciting thing, like usually it's not that bad. Like, sure. I guess I could get bit by a poisonous snake or something like that. (laughs) But I'm a very mathematical analytical person and the chances of that happening are so slim. So yeah, I just kind of live life day by day and figure it out as I go. Like I'm more than happy to jump into something that's over my head and then kind of dig my way up to air. <laughs> yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. Did you get kind of homesick when you were traveling? Not at all. And that was probably only because I was traveling with my awesome girlfriend, Lauren. <laughs> Got it. So we were together, we lived together. Um, and yeah, I mean, I missed my family, but we FaceTimed quite a bit. Uh, despite the 14 hour time difference that made it a little difficult oh. to communicate with friends. But I think having my girlfriend there uh, helped a lot. If I was alone, I think I definitely would have felt that homesickness. Yeah, I could see that. That that totally makes sense. So it was five months in Australia. What was your favorite part about the country? Ooh, that's really tough. Um, are we talking part like event or part like literal physical oh, location? Can we do both? Because I'm really okay. into travel, so I definitely want to hear both. <laughs> Okay, I'll do locations first. So there's two like types of locations, I guess, in Australia. One's like a naturey location. <laughs> yeah, not a good word for it, but I think, ooh, I think Tasmania was my favorite part of Australia. So it's a little island. It's still technically Australia. It's off the southeastern tip, but it was just like the most beautiful, lush green forests and mountains, and like just perfect for hiking. And then the contrast with that was the Whitsunday Islands, which is basically the most beautiful beaches in the world. It's 98% white, pure silica. It's It doesn't get hot sand. And it's just like the most amazing, gorgeous beach you've ever seen. That is, so those are my sharks? two favorite. Yeah, actually, there were little, there were little uh, lemon sharks, actually. They're like three feet long, and they were like literally swimming around us while we were walking in the bay. <laughs> that creeps me out. <laughs> okay, so for activities, I think just the... I'm a big hiker and biker, and it was super easy to kind of just hike and bike around everywhere when we got there. So we did do a lot of, like, inner Australian flying. So we saw, like, pretty much every major city. Don't worry. I'm super frugal. So we were paying, like, 80 bucks for these flights. <laughs> um, but, yeah, everywhere we went, it was just the most amazing hikes up these beautiful mountains that are, like, untouched by humans. And I think that was my favorite part. So it wasn't like one specific event, but it was the same thing in every location we went to. That's so cool. Yeah, I can imagine that. It would just be amazing. I don't know about the sharks, man. You're on your own on that one. (laughs) (laughs) That's my biggest fear. Did I tell you this? No. 
Yeah, sharks and alligators or crocodiles. Oh, yeah, there was a lot of crocodiles. We were in this river, and there was, like, a 15-foot crocodile, like, 10 feet away from us. Yeah, no thank you. When we went to Costa Rica, we saw quite a few, and our boat driver was actually feeding the crocodiles raw chicken. I'm like, (laughs) do you want to die, man? What is this? It was the crazy. (laughs) Anyway, not for me, but, you know, I guess that's part of it. When you go to Australia, you have to deal with that kind of stuff, too. Yes. (laughs) That's so cool. So you mentioned $80 flights. I've got to know how the heck were you finding $80 flights around Australia? Okay. So we got this super secret, awesome website that's only exclusive to Australia and Southeast Asia called I Know the Pilot. And so you sign up and they send you emails like every day or every other day. And you will literally get flights that are like $80 round trip in Australia. So like if we're using the U.S. as reference, like a Boston to Florida flight would be like 80 bucks. What? Like that same distance, yeah. And so we'd sign up, and we had such flexibility because I didn't have any responsibility whatsoever in Australia. My girlfriend had class two days a week, so we had five-day weekends. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> so, we had a, so when you have that type of flexibility, you can take advantage of, okay, like we have to leave on this Tuesday and come back on this Friday, where most people, like, they don't have that kind of flexibility because they're working their 95 jobs, you know? A more tangible tip for your U.S. listeners, because I know the pilot only works in Australia and Southeast Asia, like I said, is travel hacking. And this has literally changed my life. I mean, I think I've probably saved upwards of five to $8,000 on flights over the past two years what? since I started travel hacking. I'm super hardcore about it, so I'm opening like a, a new card every month. So basically, <laughs> travel hacking is like, I'll just use a Capital One Venture card for an example. It's $500 in travel credit after you hit a $3,000 minimum spend in three months. Mm-hmm. So you hit that $3,000 minimum spend, you have $500 in travel credit, plus the points that you earn from that $3,000 minimum spend. So you have $560. And so that can go towards anything travel. So like I said, with those $80 flights, like that's seven flights just from one card bonus. Like That's absolutely insane. So on my flight over to Australia, I actually used my Capital One points. I had like almost $800 in travel credit. And so when I booked my flight, it was like an $800 coupon off. And so my flight all in was only like 500 bucks. And so if you, yeah, it's literally insane. And like once you kind of get into this world and just realize that this is real, because when I first heard about it, I'm like, there's no way that this can be real. Like you just sign up and get this bonus and then you can fly anywhere in the world. Like American Airlines, uh, I think last month they were doing targeted offers, and my mom and I both got the same offer. It was spend $1 and get 60,000 points. You know what 60,000 points get you? A round trip to Europe. Oh, my God. So (laughs) is it like a a point per 1,000 or $1 per 1,000 points? How does that work? So it depends. So with the Capital One Venture, like – the bonus is technically technically fifty thousand miles. I'm using air quotes here. It's not real miles, but those miles just mean like points, and the points are one cent per point. So fifty thousand oh. points or miles, whatever you want to call it, is five hundred bucks. Sorry. But then there's other. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here, but there's like different types of uh, travel miles. So like with American Airlines card, for example, you get sixty thousand American Airlines points. That doesn't directly correlate with a price tag. But for example, like if you were flying round trip, I'm, I'm, I fly out of Boston. So if it was like Boston to Spain, it would be 60,000 points round trip, regardless mm-hmm. of the price. So the, it, it's different. It doesn't always okay. equate to like a price point like the Capital One Venture does where it's like one cent per point. But you kind of have a rough idea. Like Australia is usually 80,000 round trips. Europe, 60,000 round trip. Domestic U.S. is like 12,500 round trip, depending on where you go. Got it. And so if you just kind of stack these benefits, like you can get so many free flights just by changing your normal spending. Like you don't have to do the crazy stuff I'm doing, like buying gift cards and reselling them and stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering um, how you're doing that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not spending that much money. Oh my God. I'm so frugal. I spend like $12,000 a year. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. I'm like, I know you are like, you are living on a tight budget by choice, which I think is hilarious. And so I know that you're not spending that much money. So that's what I was going to ask is how do you actually do that? If it's a $3,000 within three month men, or even sometimes even within two months, it's like most people don't spend that much. Hopefully. Maybe yeah, they do. I don't know. If they do, I mean, a lot of it's like their mortgage, and you don't really want to put that on your credit card because usually it's insane fees if you go through one of those credit card brokers. Oh. But yeah, I'd say the low-hanging fruit for people who are like just want to get their toes in the water, like mm-hmm. they maybe they want to open two or three cards per year, which isn't that crazy. That's like one every four months or whatever. And unlocking free flights to Europe off one card bonus is crazy. So if you have friends or family that you really trust, like have them – 
give you the cash or Venmo or Cash App, whatever you use for money exchange. If they have a big purchase coming up, like put it on your card. I've done that for so many people. Mm-hmm. Like a bunch of my friends and I were going on a vacation. I put it all on my card. It's like two grand right there. I just have them all Venmo me and I have the money and I hit the minimum spend or I prepay my car insurance for a year or I prepay utilities for a year. Like you can prepay all these things, just call up the company mm-hmm. or you can do this stuff like Oftentimes, if you go into Walmart, there'll be like a $100 Home Depot gift card on sale for 80 So you buy like a Home Depot gift card, and there's a lot of these gift card reselling websites where you can like even make a few dollars off of it. Like you could probably resell it for like 83 bucks, and that counts towards your minimum spend. So there are all these crazy crafty ways to get around it. It's just being creative. That's so cool. Yeah, that's something that now that I think about it, I literally just booked four flights to Denmark on I have a credit card, so I, I did put it on my credit card. But I'm like, I should have opened a new one and put it on a new one, damn it. You should have. <laughs> Too late. That ship Opportunity cost. It's all right. Next time, Whitney. Next time, next time. I'll be like, Cody, what do I do again? <laughs> that's hey, I'm okay. here. <laughs> I know, I know. So, okay, so we covered a little bit on travel hacking, and I think that's actually really interesting. I know that's not quite side hustle-esque, but it still adds up because a lot of people want to side hustle to fund their trips. At least that's me, 100%. <laughs> So what are some other side hustles that, aside from physical product, which is maybe a little bit more of a long-term game, do you have any favorite side hustles that you think people should try that are short-term and get you some quick money and actually not have to like kill yourself slaving away over hours? Big time. Well, I'll, I'll kind of hit this with two hammers. So there's two types of side hustles. There's like the low to no skill side hustles. That's what I call them. And then there's like build a business side hustle. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones like we're doing like whether it's a blog, whether it's a podcast, like you're not making the big bucks those first six months or a year, typically, unless you like really hit it off crazy. But years down the road, those types of side hustles are really going to start paying you dividends because like you've built this system, like I mentioned before, where it's kind of paying you in perpetuity. And like, so those are the big guys. Those are the heavy hitting side hustles. Like if you have the capacity to grind for a year on whether it be a website, a blog, a podcast, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. then do it. But if you're looking for like those quick, easy ways to make money, the sharing economy or the gig economy, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it, that is where you want to start looking. So there are services like Rover or Fetch. Those are ones where you can literally watch someone's dog for a day and you can make anywhere from 20 to 60 bucks in a day just watching someone's cute dog and walking them around, you know? So if you're a dog lover, that's a, I mean, that's an easy win right there. And if you're, if you're shoveling away, even if you're only doing that like two or three times a week, it's an extra few hundred bucks a month. That's awesome. If you have a car start Ubering or lifting. Like it's not, it's not as crazy or scary as people think. Like I've tried it out before. My brother just started doing Uber and I mean, you can make a pretty good amount of money, especially if you start timing the surges, right? Like if you're just driving at terrible times, um, you're probably not going to (laughs) be making that much money, but it's fun and it's extra money. And if you're just going to sit and watch TV anyway, might as well go out and do it. Um, I'm trying to think of some other stuff that are easy, quick wins. Surveys are a pretty easy one. I've seen people have a lot of success with, like whether they're at work and they're bored or whatever, (laughs) or they're at home, like just vegging out in front of the TV, like just fill out some surveys. I think the best one I've seen is called MTurk. And so people I've been talking to have been making like 80 to a hundred bucks a month, probably spending like, I don't know, maybe 40 hours a month. So like 10 hours a week, which is terrible return on your money. But if you're going to be watching TV or doing something mindless anyway, like it's an extra, it's some extra bucks and it might fund that vacation. Mm-hmm. And I think it's all about those like mental wins too. Like even if you're only earning five bucks side hustling and you get like an awesome paycheck from your W2 job, the, that side hustle check feels a lot better than that W2 check does for me anyway. Cause I feel like, too. Oh, I really earned that money. Like I did it by myself. <laughs> yeah, no, I love this. I don't know if I told you this either, but I'm doing currently a 30 day Uber eats challenge. And I'm not going every single day, but I've done two weekends now. And I'm already at $120. Yeah. Wait, did you know I did Uber Eats on a bicycle? No, what? (laughs) In Australia. (laughs) (laughs) So I learned some hard lessons, and it's don't deliver in your town if your town has incredible hills. Because Murphy's Law, if there's a hill in your town, you'll hit it. (laughs) (laughs) And you really, on a bike? On a bicycle, yeah. I was like, I'm not buying a car. You know, I'm so cheap. I bought a bike for 25 bucks <laughs> off Gumtree, which is the equivalent to Craigslist in Australia. And so, I mean, I, I got my money's worth big time on that thing. It was a great return on investment. And oh, yeah, sure. I was pedaling around with my girlfriend. I had class. I was bored. So I went and delivered some Uber Eats. <laughs> it's like the best. You come back with like buns of steel from all the biking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was biking like 40 miles a day. It was a lot of biking, but 
yeah, it was definitely good exercise. That's sweet. Do you remember how much you made roughly? Uh, I actually have a post on on my site, like breaking down the exact per hour. It's pretty garbage money per hour. <laughs> I <laughs> totally. think if you boil it down, it was like nine or ten bucks an hour. But honestly, like I was working out. I love going to the gym, like being active. So I was getting paid to work out, meet some cool people. Like people are generally pretty nice, except for a select few. <laughs> yeah, usually but, they're pretty cool. Yeah. But I guess with those types of side hustles, like the surveys or with like Uber Eats, like I'm not trying to make a million dollars. It's just something I like to do on the side. And it's great. I get some exercise too, and it's a little bit of fun. I like your <laughs> I like your philosophy too of if it's going to come down to either watching Netflix and doing nothing, which, you know, we've all been there. I have my Netflix days too. But if it comes down to Netflix or making a little bit of money and maybe you're not hitting your financial goals, why would you not? Like get off your exactly. butt and go, you know, maybe ride the bike. <laughs> no, uh, no pun intended here since we're talking about bikes, but something that really grinds my gears. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. Is when, <laughs> is when people like value their time at some certain dollar per hour just because their day job is like that dollar per hour. So mm. say they make like 25 bucks an hour, which I think is like the median in the US. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, my time is worth 25 bucks an hour. So I can't be bothered to do this little side hustle thing that I might only be making five bucks an hour. But like mm-hmm. if you're just going to be watching Netflix or whatever, vegging out, like just scrolling through Facebook, whatever, why not get those extra bucks? Your time is not that valuable that you can't stoop below your W-2 salary per hour thing. Like that really grinds my gears when I hear people say that. (laughs) Oh, I am so with you on that. The other thing that I've been hearing a lot of, and I think this is interesting, you probably have good perspectives on it too, is a lot of people specifically with either Uber, Uber Eats, um, retail jobs, maybe waitressing, any of those types of jobs, they're almost embarrassed or feel kind of shameful about that. Have you heard any friends or family or even felt that way yourself sometimes? Oh yeah. People are like, Oh, why are you doing Uber Eats? Like you work this banking job, making a bunch of money. I'm like, cause I love doing side hustles and making extra money. Like right. it's not a weird thing at all. I get, I get crapped on by my friends all the time for being frugal. Like <laughs> people are probably going to cringe at this, but like when I go to the bars, you know, I'm bringing a water bottle of vodka in my pants. I'm not paying for <laughs> I'm not paying for all those drinks, but I still go out and have a good time with my friends. So, like, yeah, I get I get a lot of flack for that stuff. But at the end of the day, like, do I really want to spend this X number of dollars doing something that – or I guess in the in the counter case, like, the opportunity cost of not making this money side hustling just because it might be a quote-unquote, like, taboo job. Like, oh, why are you doing Uber? Like, that's for people who – don't have a job or whatever, you know? Yeah. No, I totally get it. I think that's some, one of those things where you have to almost get over the ego and put it aside for a little bit and say, who cares what people think of me? If somebody sees that I'm doing Uber Eats, great. Maybe they'll tip me more, <laughs> you know? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Ask for the review. <laughs> I don't know. So I think it's so funny that we get, we, we stop ourselves from making money. And I think that's really interesting. But I want to cover this because I know you've done such a good job of working the full-time job and continuously side hustling and you don't really have to. So what, what motivates you? What, what drives you to keep working that hard? On my side hustles or my day job? Both. (laughs) Uh, well, the reason I'm working so hard at my side hustles is because I'm actually going to be leaving my day job in January. Mm -hmm. So those have to support me. And I'm pretty close to like what I call cash flow financial and financially independent where like I'm just covering the bare bones minimum with my side hustles, like where I can live without having that W2 job. So, I mean, that's a lot of the reason why I'm, I think I spend more time on my side hustles per week than my day job. I'm working like a hundred, 110 hour weeks with all the stuff I'm doing, but totally, totally worth it to me. And side hustling doesn't feel like a job as much to me. Like I don't have to show up. I don't have to have a boss tell me what to do. Like I'm working on stuff I love doing. Like I'm sure you like recording podcasts. Like I'm, I'm enjoying talking to you right now. This does not feel like work, but technically it's work, (laughs) you know, weird. And like writing a blog post that helps people like whether it's travel hacking, like I wrote, I just wrote a post on that or whatever. Like I I get value out of Mm -hmm. teaching people stuff that I've learned. And so I just don't really get that same satisfaction at work. And I guess that's why I still have that motivation after work to, to still grind on these side hustles. Yeah. Okay. Let's go there because I know a lot of people listening to podcasts. I felt the same way when I was commuting back and forth. Podcast was my way of getting a little bit of inspiration and motivation. So I think that's so common for a lot of podcast listeners. If someone is considering making that leap or going out of their full-time job, do you have any advice for them of how do they make that transition? Yeah, I'd say you definitely need proof of concept. So like I'm doing right now, I mean, I am working my butt off trying to make sure that these things are right. The systems I'm putting in place are systems that I can grow and build so that 
I can eventually get past that bare bones lifestyle yeah. once I start kind of scaling up. And so if you just jump out of your full-time job just because you hate it and you have no additional revenue sources, I mean, you're kind of you're screwing yourself over. So you kind of have to have that proof of concept like this can work, whether it's a gig economy job, whether it's a a business or a brand that you're building, just make sure that it works and that people are willing to buy for or pay for your product or service. Makes sense. Okay. So for pr- proof of concept for you, is that a revenue thing or is it just some type of other validation? Yeah. So I think for me, it's definitely a combination of the two. Like I have to know that I am making revenue, whether it's like the disc golf or the blog or the podcast, like I have to know I can actually cash flow from this thing or else why am I pouring hundreds or thousands of hours into it? Right. But the other thing is like, it's not all about the money. Like I like getting good feedback or I like, I love those one-off emails when someone's like, Oh my God, like this post changed my life or this podcast like made me think of so many new ideas. And so that's another validation thing. Like if people are actually getting value from the things I'm creating, that motivates me even more to push forward. How do you deal with imposter syndrome or do you Um, experience that? Yeah, I definitely feel that a little bit. I'm like, who am I? I'm 22 years old. A lot of people reading my blog are older than I am. But I just kind of think I have the mentality that, like, you can learn something from every single person. Like, whether it's the homeless guy, whether it's someone who doesn't even have a high school education, like, you can always learn something from someone else. So I'm super open-minded to that, and I think, I hope, (laughs) my readers are like that as well. So even though, like, I'm younger than you, yeah, I might not have the same amount of, like, life hours on this earth, but I definitely have some valuable things that I've learned through the mistakes I've made, through the ventures that I've tried. And yeah, so I guess that's kind of where I take that imposter syndrome. And I'm like, you know, I know I'm not as experienced, quote unquote, in the world as you are. But hey, like, listen to what I have to say. And if you don't like it, then you can stop reading or stop listening. Right. It's like opt in if you choose and opt out if you don't like it. That's cool too. (laughs) And beautiful world that we live in, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. So, okay, let's, let's break this down. So somebody wants to start a side hustle. They're looking at this, and I think inherently the first reaction is, oh, my God, I have to do this forever. This is the rest of my life. How do we overcome that first fear of this is my life from now on? (laughs) I mean, I don't think you can go in with that attitude and succeed. You have to kind of want to do the side hustle. Like I said before, if it's not about something you're passionate about, there's no way that you're going to keep that up for six months or a year. I think the average blogger is six months is their is their lifetime. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. So if you don't like what you're doing, like if you're just going to start a blog because you think you're going to be rich or something and get all these millions of followers, that's not the right reason to do it. Like you have to have a passion for the thing you're doing or it's just not going to work out. So yeah, to answer your question, if you're having those thoughts at all, then don't do that side hustle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if you do love it, I think you'll find yourself just working and working and you're like 20 hours deep in a project and you're like, wow, I can't believe I did all this, but it doesn't even feel like work. It's so true, right? It's like when, once you find something that kind of lights you up, and I don't think it's all enjoyable, of course. There's some parts where like, I enjoy most of this, but this little piece I still hate. And that's normal. But I think it, as a whole, if you enjoy it more than your full-time gig, keep building that up grow that to the point where you can actually survive on that. And it doesn't take that long if you're putting in the kind of hours like you are, my friend. I cannot believe, <laughs> like, uh, mad props. You make me feel like I'm totally lazy. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Honestly, though, it's, like, unsustainable. I think if I were to do this for, like, a few more years, I'd be so burnt out. I'd have, like, huge bags under my eyes. I mean, I wake <laughs> up at, like, 540 every day and immediately start working, like, on my computer. I work um, the whole train ride to my job. So like two hours, I'm either writing a blog post, reaching out to people, editing the podcast, get to work, work my nine to five job, work the whole train ride home and side hustle stuff. Usually hit the gym. Then I get home at like 9 PM. So I'm out from five 40 to 9 PM. And then I usually work on side hustles for another two hours after I get home till You're 11 and then go to bed. Excellent. My goodness. <laughs> so how do you, uh, let's talk a little bit about like personal care. How do you take care of yourself so you don't burn out as much? Um, I think I have a lot of fun on the weekends, yeah. probably a little too much fun. Um, but I still get work done, but I'm like always hanging out with my friends. I always take like little mini vacations. So I'm always using up my PTO. I think I went on five flights in the past eight weeks. And so a lot of these were just like little fun vacations. And to the, with the travel of, with the power of travel hacking, I talked about earlier, I didn't pay for any of them. It's amazing. I'm doing yeah, it wrong. Yeah, so I think it's just like stuff like that, but I can't keep that up forever. Like I don't want to be stuck in that hamster wheel lifestyle where you're just begging for Friday to come around the corner. And that's kind of where I'm stuck right now. So like I said before, I will be leaving my full-time job in January so I can enjoy life a little bit more and just pursue my side hustles. Because even if I'm still working 100 hours a week on my own stuff, 
it's so much better than commuting to a job and working on stuff that I don't really get that much fulfillment out of. It's so true. I, I think this is a really good conversation to have too, because so many people dream of getting to that point where they can live off of their side hustles and have that become their, their full-time hustle, I guess. Um, so like in general, like making that transition from like a full-time income to maybe your side hustle supports you financially, but it may not be at your full-time job level. Like it's still survivable, but it's not exactly like I can travel every weekend. How do you, how do you prepare your personal financial life for that transition? Do you have any tips? Okay. Yeah, I guess, I mean, at the point of my life I'm in right now, since I'm 22, lifestyle inflation has not hit me at all. I mean, I will literally like sleep on a dog bed and eat Cheerios for all three meals a day. I mean, (laughs) if I had to, obviously I don't want to do that, but like I have a very flexible lifestyle. I don't have a family, don't have kids yet. So I think that lends itself to a lot of opportunities because like worst comes to worst, I go and live with my mom or whatever, like whatever it may be. And it's not that bad at 22 where maybe someone who's 50 doesn't quite have the same privilege that I do. But I think it all comes down to just cutting those expenses to the bone as much as you can handle without like just completely hating your life. So Mm -hmm. for example, like I'm, my living expenses are next to nothing, like for the cost of housing, because I'm kind of in between two houses right now. I I inherited a property, um, fixing that up. I was just talking to Whitney about that. So my housing is zero for Mm -hmm. food. I'm spending like maybe 35 bucks a week on groceries. So for myself, yeah, I'm just super intentional. Like I'm not skipping out a lot. Like I work out five or six days a week. So I eat a lot of food, but I'm buying chicken like for a nine 99 or one forty nine a pound. Yep. So like I can just, I can bulk up and load up on that stuff. Um, just, just, it's basically just being intentional and kind of saving where it counts. And then I guess the one where I do kind of spend a decent amount is transportation. Cause I do have that two hour commute. Two uh, most of it's train, but so the train pass is 360 bucks a month which isn't terrible compared to if I were to drive, it would cost a lot more for gas and renovation. Um, sorry, gas and repairs and maintenance and stuff like that. But yeah, I think it just all boils back to cutting those expenses. Cause once you create that gap between your income and your expenses, that's when you can really start to play with stuff. That's when you can have the flexibility to say, Hey, maybe I don't like my day job that much. How much of a pay cut can I sustain to pursue the side hustle? So just for reference, I mean, I make really good money at my day job doing banking, like you can imagine. And I'm saving like probably 85 to 88% of my income every month. And so when I start side hustling, it's going to be nowhere close to that level of income. Like my side hustles are just covering my expenses. So I'm going from 85% savings rate to 0%, but I'm going to have like lifestyle flexibility and like I mentioned to you guys before, is I'm building businesses that can scale and grow. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I'm just going out and Ubering because you can't really scale an Uber. Uh, you can't scale an Uber business because they dictate the price. Like you can't create a product or create a course on Uber. Mm-hmm. But I'm building things like the blog and the podcast and disc golf company, front loading that work so that hopefully, if I'm running the businesses correctly, those bare bone that barebone income increases to a level where I can actually start pumping money into my savings and getting that savings rate back, hopefully to where it was before. 100%. So I guess I hope that answers your question. It really <laughs> does. I appreciate you sharing your numbers too. I always think it's so interesting to see how people are truly living from their day to day. And I get it. Like, no, you're not going to live on this type of a budget long term. But if it means five years of doing this so that you can have millions of dollars when you're in your early <laughs> 30s or late 20s, hell yeah, that's amazing. Like, why wouldn't yeah, I mean, you do that? <laughs> you money nerds probably love spreadsheets. And if you just do the math, like putting the, putting away the amount of money I'm putting away at my age and just letting it ride, not even touching it. I mean, I'll have a million dollars by like age 33. Yeah. It's a, it, that is incredible. I think that's super, super cool. I'll have to bring you on again, too, to talk about like how you're personally investing, because I know you've got your own different strategies with that, so for sure <laughs> do, next yeah. time. Um, Cody, are you down for some rapid-fire questions before we officially part ways? I would love to do some rapid-fire questions. Let's do it. All right. Cody, what's one purchase that you recently made that has made your life better? Okay, so I think it's a weird way to answer this question because it's definitely not a physical item. I literally buy nothing. Like The things I buy, either they have utility, like food that I have to eat, or or experiences. And I literally spend all the money I spend mostly on experiences. So I'm not buying new clothes. Like I don't think I've bought new clothes in like three years or something like that. Um, so I'm just not buying these like items. But what I am spending it on is like I mentioned before, I've flown out 
five times in the past eight weeks going on little fun adventures and finding these like awesome deals where I can get awesome redemptions on those points I earned through travel hacking. And so I'm all about just spending on experience, hanging out with friends, seeing new parts of the country, new parts of the world. And I think that's so much more valuable because when someone's on their deathbed, they're not thinking about all the things that they wish they purchased. They're thinking about all the vacations and all the time they wish they spent with family. So I think that's the most important thing. I love that. That's a great answer. I'm right there with you, my friend. (laughs) I think that's exactly, I'm in the same boat. Um, Next question. Since we're both travelers, I'm really excited to hear your answer to this. What's one place that you're dying to travel to? Ooh, we are dying to travel and will travel to. Uh, we're doing a Southeast Asian tour, my girlfriend Lauren and I. Oh. I think we're going to live there for a year and kind of just hop around to Southeast Asian countries. And you know what the beauty of it is for you finance nerds out there, you money nerds, <laughs> is if you can earn dollars in U.S. dollars, like with my blog and podcast, and live somewhere like Thailand, I mean, you are just going to be saving so much money, even if you're living like a king or a queen. Oh, love it. That is so cool. That's going to be, I'm excited to see your trip because I, I too want to live there, not for a year, maybe a month or two, but you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll live vicariously for you in the meantime. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. So last question, what do you believe the secret to financial success is? I think it's all about just being intentional and kind of understanding that money is a tool and money is not like this thing that you should pursue. Money is just a tool to get you the things that you want, which typically, like I said before, is experiences, is connection, is time with friends, family, whoever. And once you kind of realize that, like this thing called money is what will buy me freedom later, like that's when it really starts to click in your head. You're like, do I really want to make this a hundred dollar purchase right now? Or 10 years down the road when this a hundred dollars might be worth $250 if you invest it in the market, that compound interest is that really worth it? And so I've kind of reframed my mind to think about money like that. I think of money in terms of my freedom down the road. And so like that really motivates me to save. Like, Would I rather spend this $100 on something that I probably won't get that much value out of, or would I rather retire two weeks earlier? <laughs> oh, heck yeah. I think when you frame it that way, it's like a no-brainer, right? <laughs> no-brainer, but nobody does, you know, because we're in this consumeristic society that just tells you to buy, buy, buy. Like, this is how you get happiness. You buy this thing right now. Mm. That is such a good note to end on. So for everybody listening in, everything that Cody's mentioned, he's mentioned a couple blog posts that's going to be linked in the show notes, as well as his website and his podcast, which you guys should all go listen to and subscribe. It's incredible. I'm a big fan. I think it's great. And Cody and Justin now are doing such a good job with the podcast. So Cody, I appreciate you hanging out with me tonight. It was so fun chatting with you. Yeah, thank you so much. I hope you guys can hit me up on the blogger podcast. There's contact forms on both of those. So if you have a question, if you want to just pick my brain, more than happy to chat. And thank you again so much for having me on, Whitney. Okay, so what'd you think? What was your biggest takeaway? Let me know on social media. Tag me on Instagram or join the private Facebook group, Manage Your Money Like a Boss, and let me know what really stood out to you from this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe and leave a five-star review if you have enjoyed this episode. Thank you for tuning in, and I will see you next week for another episode of The Money Nerds Podcast. Bye! When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.